When I was a kid, I, I never really felt well. And um, I used to get scolded all the time for not smiling. Uh, my mother would actually grab me by the shoulders occasionally and shake me, yelling at me, why can't you smile like other little boys? Which, of course, didn't make me smile. <laughs> It didn't work. Um, I wasn't a happy little boy, but that was because I wasn't feeling well a lot of the time. What no one knew then is I had a severe malabsorption syndrome, so I wasn't absorbing essential nutrients from food. And <clears throat> that resulted in a number of things, uh, damage to my heart, um, I never reached peak bone mass, so I have very, very severe osteoporosis, a T-score of minus 4.6, if any of you know what that is. It's more severe osteoporosis than, than you would find in a 95-year-old postmenopausal woman. <clears throat> um, I have, uh, so a number of systems didn't develop. Uh, I have, I've had four autoimmune diseases, uh, ITP, which is a disease where the immune system attacks the platelets. It sees platelets as foreign. Um, ankylosing spondylitis, which almost put me in a wheelchair. I wasn't able to stand for a few years. I was in excruciating pain pretty much all the time. And uh, thankfully, somehow that went into remission. Um, I've had other forms of systemic arthritis. Um, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. So my immune system sees the lining of my small intestine as foreign and attacks it. Um, I often have trouble remembering, but there's, there, there's more. But <laughs> um, I've had, uh, since my mid-30s, very debilitating headaches uh, that put me out of commission for a few days at a time. Um, I know I'm leaving things out, but I, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But, but I've lived with a lot of shame around it, um, especially as a kid, because it seemed like all the other kids were healthy and happy, and I wasn't. And the suffering as a kid wasn't so much from the fact that I didn't feel well. It was that I felt ashamed of not being like everyone else. And even as an adult, um, I've lived with enormous shame for simply not being healthy. I mean, it, 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 I had to take some deep breaths before sharing with you even what's wrong with me, because it, it's odd that I have shame around I can see that it's odd. Why would I have shame around that? But, um, you know, it goes back to childhood. Um, and uh, so, um, you just think what I want to say. And one of the things that, that I was told as a child is, uh, I was continually told, not just by my parents, but other people, you're too sensitive. So 
That added to the shame. Then I was really ashamed. I was ashamed I was too sensitive. I was ashamed I wasn't healthy. I was ashamed I wasn't happy. I should be happy. Um, I was ashamed that I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I, I still often feel ashamed for having shame. Um, and what happened is when I was in my early 50s, my father died when he was 55. And I suspect he had some of the things, some of it's genetic. Um, and when I was in my early 50s, my health worsened. And I figured, well, this is probably it. He died at 55. I'm getting to that point. Um, and that m made me realize that I started to look at my life. I started to, the, the, being face to face with my mortality. I started to question, well, okay, is this how I want to die? Or is there some other way? And I realized that I have an opportunity because I'm not dead yet. So I have an opportunity to make some changes while I'm still breathing. And uh, the main change I made was I realized that I asked myself, what do I want? I mean, what do I value most? What do I want more than anything else in the world? And what it, the answer that always came to me was the same. It was always, I want to live, I want to be able to live fully in the moment. Because I came to realize that I'd be going through invasive medical procedures and, and I'd have all these stories like, oh, I have to go to this, have this procedure done. And I came to realize that, no, I have a choice. I can go mindfully and I can realize I'm choosing to go for this invasive procedure because I value my health and more than that, I value being in the experience. And one of the things, I'm claustrophobic and I've had to have a lot of MRIs. Any of you have been in that tube, it's not a fun place for someone who's claustrophobic. <laughs> so I've learned to just be with whatever is there. And amazingly, I mean, it was incredibly eye-opening that when I allow myself to be in that tube and just be with all my fear and all everything, it wasn't so bad. And I, and I realized that none of the pain or disability was all that bad. I could live with any amount of pain. It was the attributions that were killing me. It was that I was telling myself, oh, this pain is killing me. It was the, the this pain is killing me that was killing me. It wasn't the pain that was killing me. And I had attributions, negative attributions for everything. Those negative attributions were killing me. And I realized, um, I started sitting in 1972, but I was never a very good meditator. And so I, I would meditate for a while and then I get tired of it. I wasn't seeing results. I read uh, Kapila Roshi's book in the late 70s, uh, Three Pillars of Zen. And he talked a lot about, well, you have to work really hard to get enlightened. So I worked really hard. But it was like one of those stories where the 
someone goes to the meditation teacher, the Zen master, and says, how long will it be to get enlightened? And he says, oh, six months. He said, what if I work twice as hard? So then it'll take a year. What if I work 10 times as hard? It'll take 10 years. And I was like that. I was striving and grasping for enlightenment. I wanted that. So I kept going farther and farther from it. And uh, it was around the time when my health went downhill. I realized, okay, it's time to change. And I, I came back to Vipassana after having been away from it for a while, for quite a while. And um, so I got away from shame in talking about this. Um, but um, anyway, just wanted to share about me. Um, because I meant to share it when I introduced myself this morning. Um, so, shame is uh, something that's pretty much ubiquitous in the chronic illness community, uh, the life-threatening community too. I mean, it's only in recent years that people with cancer are able to, to, to tell people they have cancer. It used to be, you know, there was a lot of shame around that. And uh, part of the shame is we're given these messages like, um, so people used to tell me things like, oh, if you have autoimmune disease, it's because you don't like yourself. And you can, you can cure your autoimmune disease because your body's attacking itself because you're not you know, loving yourself. You need to love yourself. Which to me sounded very familiar. It's like my mother shaking me, yelling, you know, why can't you be happy? <laughs> um, so there's a lot of shame in the chronic illness community. And um, a lot of shame, I think, in general. And I think a lot of anger and rage that's expressed out in the world is to cover shame. Because we're, we're ashamed of having shame. Um, you know, we, we tend to, it's, so many of us believe we are flawed in some way. Um, that we're just not okay. There's something wrong with us. In some way, we're not okay. So, um, uh, I don't really have more to say about that. So, yeah, yeah. Something that's come to my mind um, is around shame. This, when you were talking, thanks so much for sharing that. It's so moving. Um, and, um, I wanted to add the other side of what I had shared earlier this morning. And um, I, there was uh, two places where I felt a lot of shame, and one was in not being able to handle the pain. I felt like, especially as a meditator, that when I was experiencing very intense pain and I was like, give me the drugs, you know, because I, I'm going crazy. I, there, was, there was shame around that. And then also in hearing me say it's all about presence and love in those many, many moments where there was no presence and no love. You know, so it felt in some way that I was failing myself, like Locke. You know, you've been given all these teachings and here you are when you most need them and you can't access them. And so really, really um, learning 
um, about failure, you know, and <coughs> failure in kind of big ways. And I'm, so I'm, I, I want to hand it over to Larry again because we're going to look at, well, so how do we relate to that? But I, I, I just want to acknowledge that, that it, it feels so much about um, finding ourselves getting stronger and then failing, and somehow the failure feels even worse, especially if you get a little better and then you find you're in a really bad relapse, then it feels like the failure goes even deeper than in the first time. So um, as I just feel very kind of awed at our own vulnerability and humanity and humanness in facing the what life is bringing us and in that space then how do we work with it how do we hold those failures so yeah there's one thing i, I oh. there's one thing i left out that i meant to say because as a kid i was shamed for not being happy uh shamed for having a frown on my face um, I learned to stuff all my feelings. So I began to feel sh ashamed for a lot of feelings. Like I, I didn't feel shame for hap being happy. But if I felt depressed, I was ashamed of that. If I felt angry, I, I was ashamed of feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling angry. So I learned to stuff all my feelings. And that was um, very, very damaging. And it's taken me many, many years of very hard inner work to find my feelings again, because for a lot of my life I had no clue what I was feeling. If someone asked me, how are you? I always said, fine. That's all I knew, is just say fine. So it took a tremendous amount of hard work to find my feelings. And, and uh, that's part of the mindfulness, too, is to live with feeling. So uh, find a partner and... Um, Find a different partner, someone you didn't work with before. And um, share with your partner your experience of shame, what, what it's been like for you. <laughs>